You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. I also want to just uh, draw your attention to, to something as, as, uh, as we begin to open the Bible together, as is our custom. You'll see a paperback Bible underneath the chair in front of you. And so we're going to be in the Gospel of John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. Don't be afraid of the New Testament, but or, see, don't, be afraid, don't be afraid of the table of contents to find your way through. Um, join us as we open the Bible, and as the Bible, we say, opens us. And so we're going to be in the Gospel of John in the very first chapter. Uh, the word gospel simply means good news, and that's absolutely what we believe we have to celebrate. Good news that God is for us. And so uh, we'll be in uh, the Gospel of John in the very first few verses. We're going to read verse 9 through 14 together as we celebrate Christmas with one another. And as you're making your way there, for for those of you, if you've been celebrating uh, the season of Advent with our church every Sunday, there's been a verse that we've seen in, in the Gospel of Matthew as Jesus sends out his disciples in the 40th verse. He says to those he's sending out that whoever receives receives you receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. And so we've been reflecting on what it means as Christians to be sent out, to be sent in such a way that actually reflects the way that God has sent Jesus to be with us and for us. After all that's what we celebrate at Christmas. The Gospel of John later we see says it this way that Jesus tells his disciples again, "Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And so here we have this picture of being sent as missionaries, but we're not sent with something that's particularly special to us. Instead, we're simply being sent in the way that God in his kindness sent Jesus to be with us and for us, with a message of hope and reconciliation. And so the season of Advent for us as a church we've been reflecting on, and I want to invite you to to consider, is is a season of arrival that we, we prepare for the arrival of Jesus. And I've asked our church this, and I'll ask you this morning as well. What would it look like for you this Christmas to simply receive Jesus? Now, I know you've had a whole lot of things you, you've set aside to do this season. Hopefully you got them all done, and now you're just breathing easy and it's all nailed, right? But what if the only important thing that you were to do this Christmas is to receive Jesus? What if those other things aren't really important? What if the only thing, the only right response to Jesus arriving for us is to simply receive him? And so, this mystery of Jesus coming with us and for us, John tells us. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the story of the life of Jesus and his work and what he accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. John tells the story a bit different. In fact, Matthew starts the story, if he wants to tell you about Jesus, he starts at the story of David. And he says, this this one that comes as Jesus is promised of the people of God. Mark loves Christmas so much that he skips it. The Gospel of Mark starts with, as he wants to tell the story of Jesus, with John the Baptist and the baptism, the anointing, the, the public affirmation of God upon Jesus to the world. Luke doesn't like either of those, and he tells us he likes Christmas a little bit more, and so he tells us about the story of Jesus coming, and he begins not just with David, but he goes all the way back to Adam, so that all peoples of all nations would know that this Jesus was for them. But John comes along with a different perspective, and he loves Christmas so much he doesn't even mention it. 
And he wants to tell us the story of Jesus' arrival and coming, and and he goes all the way back. In the very first verse of the Gospel of John, he says, in the beginning. And that phrase would have been very important for John's first audience. They would have known that verse. It's It's the first words of the entirety of the Bible, of how all things came to be. And he says that in the beginning was the Word, the speaking of God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So beginning in verse 9, let's read how Jesus is spoken of by John as we celebrate Christmas this morning. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. As we celebrate Christmas, I know many of you celebrated it differently with your family last night, maybe even this morning, and I got a question for you to consider. Did you get everything to satisfy your heart's desire? Just for a minute, did you get everything you want? Did you get all the stuff you wish you would have gotten for Christmas? Did you get everything to satisfy your heart's desire? I got a new razor. Pretty excited about that. Did you get everything to satisfy your heart's desire? Did you get everything you wanted? And maybe if you're in this room and and your celebration of Christmas doesn't uh, involve exchanging presents, then, then your answer is easy, right? No, did not, right? No one got that for me. But if maybe whatever you did get didn't satisfy the longing in your own heart, the gnawing and aching despair that you know will return once this season is over, then I want you to consider the possibility that John proposes to you and to me. That there is nothing in this world that can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart and mine. There is nothing in this world that can give you what you really want. And so, in order to satisfy the deepest longings in our hearts, a gift was given not from this world, but from another world. From out of this world. From heaven entered in. And so I want to show you two things in our time this morning. I want you to see the mystery of Jesus and what we will, and I'll define it in a moment, call the Incarnation. And then I want us to see the glory of Jesus and the incarnation, the mystery and the glory. And I'll I'll try to patch in a little bit about uh, St. Nicholas, uh, Santa Claus, and maybe a Christmas carol or two. So the mystery that God has come to be with us and for us, the mystery of the incarnation. Verse 14, you and I read that. It said, and the word that is the expression of God Right, this is John. This is how he thinks about Jesus. Jesus isn't just a human, isn't just God. Jesus is God speaking. 
Jesus is God speaking to something to his people and to the world, and he's been speaking it even in the beginning. That is, before there was anything broken in the world, God was already speaking a word of reconciliation. Before there was a chasm between people and their creator, God had already built a bridge. God had already spoken this good news to these people before they even came to be. What a marvelous mystery. And the way he says it in verse 14 is that it became flesh. And I'll say more about it in just a minute, but, but you have to make up a word. That's why it's a weird word. And, and You have to make up a word for something this mysterious. The word became flesh. And the word that Christians have used over history is called incarnation. Carne, that, that is the word for meat or flesh, that God is became flesh. Now, I don't care that you remember that word or ever use that word again, but I do care that you remember the concept, the miraculous concept that God, who is above and outside of time, in fact, God, who has invented time, came to be inside of time. The Creator became human. The Lord of the universe became a part of it. The infinite stepped into the finite. The Word became flesh. That's a mystery. It's a mystery because ultimately it's a miracle. It's something that you can't really get your mind around. It'd be like telling you that I had the ocean, the entire ocean, into a bottle of water. And I held it up to you and I said, look, the ocean Something in you would be like, I don't think that's how that works. That, that defies how the world works. There's no way that can be. There's a mystery. A mystery. One author says it this way, He became that which first became through Him. He stepped into creation to become that which He had invented and created Himself. It boggles the mind. It's miraculous. It changes everything. It's something that even changes the way we count time. So, sometime, uh, some time ago, uh, maybe someone you don't know, his name is Larry King. He, uh, for a generation, he was kind of the person who introduced every, you know, the, the public to people. He would interview them. And someone asked, uh, interviewed him and said, hey, if you could interview anyone in the world, Larry, who would you interview? And he said, I would interview Jesus Christ. And here's what he said. He said, if I could interview Jesus, he said, I would ask him if he indeed was virgin born. Because the answer to that would define history for me. What a profound way of saying that. That if this is true, if the God of the universe took on flesh... If the God of the universe came through a Virgin Mary, if the God of the universe stepped into the universe and became a part of it, that would define history. That would be the defining moment of history. In fact, that would change everything you know and understand about history. That is the mystery of the incarnation. That is the mystery of Jesus coming to be with us and for us. It's a mystery that people have wrestled with. We've had to make up words to, de- to define it. It's so miraculous. It's so majestic. It's so amazing. It's hard to talk about. In fact, one of the only ways that we do this every Sunday, one of the only ways you can really express it is through singing, through the arts, to, to put into, uh, into expression something that is inexpressible. But let me tell you a story about Santa Claus. Now, 
I want, I want to preface this. There's a, there's a lot of information out there about Santa Claus. He's known as Saint Nicholas. What we do know, and again, there's a lot we don't, and there's a lot that's passed around that's believed about Saint Nicholas. I'll give you some that might be even questionable, but if you're going to believe questionable things about Saint Nicholas, you'll like this one. In the fourth century, uh, all of the Christians, again, thousands of Christians that had spread over the, over the course of a couple of centuries, churches have been planted all across the known world. And the emperor, Constantine, the emperor, like in a time that, that the Romans had persecuted Christians, the emperor Constantine allegedly came and became a Christian. But there was some teaching that was going around by a, a preacher, a pastor by the name of Arius. And this pastor, Arius, was preaching that this mystery is not real or true, that Jesus is not eternal and Jesus is not divine and God and has stepped into the world. They said, no, Jesus was created. Arius said Jesus was simply one more creation like the rest. He wasn't actually, as John says here, the means by which all of created order came into being. So Constantine gathered together in Nicaea hundreds of bishops, that is, overseers of these pastors and churches, and they gathered to talk with Arius. Arius was not a bishop. And here's, here's what the history of the, the, the church tells us. Now, granted, this, this history isn't recorded until about a thousand years later, so what I'm about to tell you may or may not be true, but most of the things you believe about Santa may or may not be true anyway. We know that St. Nicholas was born then in about the third or fourth century, and he was invited to this council. And they invited Arius to speak to all these council of bishops, what he had been teaching. And he began to say that Jesus was not really God. Jesus was not really that great. There wasn't really that much mystery. He was just a person who, who God had anointed with great power to accomplish great things. And St. Nicholas, well, Santa Claus, as you call him, right? Santa is simply the kind of the Latinized version of the word saint and and, and we, would, we would shorten uh, the word Nicholas to Nick, right? But, but the more Latinized shortening of, of Nicholas is Niklaus, right? Klaus, so Santa Claus. That's where, that's where you get it. Saint Nicholas, in attendance, was so outraged that someone would speak so awfully and in and, and, and such blasphemous ways about Jesus that the tradition tells us that Saint Nicholas walked up to Arius and struck him in the face. Now, I don't know, did, with a closed fist, an open fist, I like to think it was a backhand, <laughs> right? Talk bad about Jesus. <laughs> the tradition tells us that Constantine, it was right in front of the emperor, Constantine threw him in prison, and he later apologized and was let loose. But, but I want to tell you a Christmas story. If you're going to believe weird things about St. Nicholas, this one's pretty crazy, what do we know about St. Nicholas? Evidently, if this tradition is true, he loved Jesus and saw the mystery of Jesus coming to be with us and for us as something so great that he was a little bit angry. Now, this isn't, I don't think, encourage anyone to resort to violence. Tradition tells us that Nicholas apologized and the emperor let him go. The mystery, the mystery of the incarnation, forever the ocean in a bottle, forever in a period of time. Eternal satisfaction in a baby. Think of it this way. Someone might ask you, what did you get for Christmas? And you might say a lot of different things, but if you didn't get Jesus, you might have missed out on the best. I mean, just imagine what it would be like over the next weeks to say to someone, hey, what did you get for Christmas? And you could say, I got eternity in the flesh. 
I got forever in a single gift. I got eternity in a baby, a present. A mystery. He came into our sorrows in order to bear our sorrows. Friend, have you had any disappointments this year? Have you had anything that did not go to plan this year? Have things been difficult, challenging, disappointing? Do you find yourself in this season with more despair? Right? When someone sings, have a holly jolly Christmas, does it kind of make you angry? Well, friend, behold the Christ child who entered into the sorrow when you, read, when you read Luke's gospel, he mentions on more than one occasion the manger, right? The manger. It was simply a sign that, that this mystery, that God would come to be with us and for us, wouldn't be, did you hear the mystery? It wouldn't be known. It says that in verse 10, he was in the world, but the world, even though it was made through him, didn't know him. And the sign Luke tells us that this is a mystery, is that they put him in a manger. There was no room for him in the inn. It'd be, I mean, you know, maybe you've heard the word manger a lot, so that doesn't sound so crazy, but like putting a baby in something you feed farm animals with might catch you off guard. And it's meant to be a sign. And Luke tells us more than, on more than one occasion. It's like, say, hey, they had a baby. Here's how you'll know this baby's a mystery. The baby's in a bucket, okay? The baby is resting in a barrel, Right, you'd be like, That's, that doesn't seem right. There must be something to that. That doesn't quite fit. And Luke says, exactly. That's the mystery. The God of the universe had no place to lay his head. They put him in a thing that we feed animals out of. Here's a mystery that I would propose to you in light of that. To summarize it all, no one looks up to a baby. No one looks up to a baby. No one's scared of a baby. Now, I know parents are scared of having children. That's not what I'm saying at all. But no one has ever run from a baby. No one has ever been terrified for the life of a baby. And why? Why is that so important? I heard one writer put it this way. In Christ, for the first time, all of the earth looked down in order to see heaven. God stooped down so low to show himself in order that no one would miss him. In order that no one would think they are too far from him. God stooped down to introduce himself, and here's the good news, he still does it. That's the mystery. That's the mystery of God coming in the flesh that we celebrate at Christmas. But here's the glory Exodus 33 says it this way, Moses, as he's leading God's people into the promised land, he's seen some of the most amazing things that anyone could ever imagine, and yet his prayer to God near the end of his life is this, Moses said, please to the Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Lord, one more time, show me your glory. Let me see it. Let me see your glory. And, and some of you will know this, and I commend Exodus 33 for your reading even this week. God says, I can't do that. He says, here's what I'll do for you. Here's what I'll do. I'm going to hide you in this rock. I'm going to hide you behind these rocks, and I'm going to pass over you. And after I've passed by you, then I'm going to, I'm going to unveil 
Uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of like allow you to see me and I'm going to invite you out to see me because you can see my backside because no one can see me and live. After all, the mystery of seeing God is kind of like the mystery of the sun. It's not that you, you can't fathom it entirely. It's just that it would kill you to comprehend it. Right? It's like studying the sun is something you have to do with special tools because if you want to study the sun by staring at it, it will destroy you. You want to study the sun by taking a journey into it, right? You get the idea? He says, my glory is too great because of your sin, because of your frailty, because of your weakness, because of all that you are. If you saw me unveiled, it would destroy you. But did you hear what John tells us? Read verse 14. It says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world in verse 9. He tells us what he's going to be like, and he tells us the mystery of how some will even reject him. And yet those who receive them would experience something amazing because verse 14 tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what? We have seen his glory. Glory of the only Son, right? And your King James will say only begotten. It's the exact same phrase that's in John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his only Son, that all who would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. It's as if John is saying here, do you remember that prayer that Moses had? Do you remember that prayer that Moses longed to see something glorious and behold it? But his sin and frailty and rebellion kept him from being able to see it. Friend, we have that which Moses prayed for. We see in Jesus, the Bible tells us what angels long to look at. We see in Jesus what Moses wished he could have seen. We've seen him. We've seen the glory of God come in the Son. The glory is in the phrase he says, he took on flesh. Just a word about that. That's strange, right? We don't usually talk about humans that way, not in any sort of honorific language, right? And there are other ways to say this. He could have said, and God became a human, right? And God became, right, uh, God had a personality. God became a living being. He didn't say any of those things. He said, God took on flesh. Right? Remember what I told you that the Latinized version of incarnation we get from that is like, Carne, that's where one of my, you know, carne guisada, one of the greatest meals of all time, right? Uh, chili con carne, it's meat, right? That's a food, that's a kind of a terse way to describe this, right? After all, if you were to talk about a human, you would never say this. There are more noble ways to talk about being human. Being a piece of meat is not one of them, right? You would never say, like, man, look at the meat on that guy, Right? That's objectifying, isn't it? That's terse. It's base. And yet, listen how John tells us that God came to be with us. This is the same word that Paul uses elsewhere to describe the sinful desires of the flesh that he wished he could be freed from. Not that Jesus came and took on that kind of flesh, but here's why he uses this word. This Jesus came... And took on all of our weakness, all of our frailty, all of our pain, suffering, and temptation, all of it. It's terse, it's base, so that you and I would know just how big a deal it is that Jesus came to be like us. 
Here's a Christmas carol. Uh, I commend it to you. It's from Isaac Watts, who also wrote Joy to the World. And it's uh, hard for me to read without crying. I'll do my best. But it's a, a hymn that he composed after having a child. And he was overwhelmed with the thought of Jesus being a child and him having a child. And so he, he goes back and forth speaking to this child of the glory of Jesus. So beginning speaking to his child as he writes this hymn, he says, Hush, my dear, lie still in slumber. Holy angels, guard thy bed. Heavenly blessings without number, gently falling on thy head. Sleep, my babe. Thy food and raiment, house and home, thy thy friends provide. All without thy care or payment. All thy wants are well supplied. And then he reflects on the state of this child and the state of the Christ child. How much better art thou attended than the Son of God could be? When from heaven he descended and became a child like thee, soft and easy is thy cradle, coarse and hard the Savior lay. When his birthplace was but a stable and his softest bed was hay. Blessed babe, what glorious features, spotless, fair, divinely bright. Must he dwell with brutal creatures? How could angels even bear the sight? Was there nothing but a manger that cursed sinners could afford? To receive the heavenly stranger? Did they thus affront their Lord? He begins to speak to his child again. Soft, my child, I did not chide thee, though my song might sound too harsh. Tis thy mother sits beside thee, and her arms shall be thy guard. Yet, to read the shameful story, how the people abused their king, how they served the Lord of glory, makes me angry while I sing. See the kinder shepherds round him, telling wonders from the sky, where they sought him, there they found him with his virgin mother by. See the lovely babe addressing, lovely infant, how he smiled when he wept the mother's blessing, soothed and hushed that holy child. Lo, he slumbers in his manger, where the horned oxen fed, Speaking to his child, but peace, my darling, here's no danger. There's no ox near thy bed. It was to save thee, child, from dying. To save my dear from burning flame, bitter groans and endless crying that thy blessed Redeemer came. And I'll send this out as our benediction later. Mayest thou live to know and fear him, to trust and love him all thy days, Then go dwell forever near him to see his face and to sing his praise. It might seem hopeless for some of you right now, but you won't be overwhelmed. Because Christ came to bear our sorrows with us and for us. Hear the glory in this mystery. He came to be God with us so that we could be us with God. God came to the earth as a child so that we could go to God as his children. God came to humanity so that humanity could go to God. Jesus stooped low so that you and I could be lifted up. 
In the words of Paul to the Colossians, Jesus took on flesh and was absent from the Father upon the cross so that when we are absent from the flesh, we will be present with him. He took on flesh to bring to us what what we might receive when we will one day be absent from flesh. He came to give us our deepest desires. Do you remember that question I asked? Did you get everything to satisfy your heart's desire? For those of us who see the mystery and glory of Jesus, the answer is yes. I encourage you to tell someone that today or or the days to come. In fact, if you're not a believer in this room, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. I'm so glad you're here. I want you to ponder the mystery that Christians proclaim when we proclaim it rightly. We can say to you at Christmas, I got everything my heart desired. I got everything I need for now and for eternity. I got everything I could possibly have wanted. There is nothing I could even think of. And it changes everything. And so for those of us who are in Christ, we feel the burden and weight of this mess Jesus came in to for us. Because you might think that you have to measure up, not at Christmas. You might think that you have to be better and to do better, not at Christmas. You might think that you need to prove yourself, not at Christmas. You might think that you need to seek out, to find, and to reach God Not at Christmas. We know at Christmas that God came down to reach us. That changes everything. Here's a closing idea. I want to show you a picture from Geneva, a room full of scientists celebrating. Uh, I remember I was a pastor of an established church. This will, you'll love, if you're nerdy in the room, you really love this. In 2012, in July, uh, there was a, a, a publication, and I want to read it to you. And it was about what's known as the Higgs boson particle. That these, uh, there's other pictures of these people celebrating, and it's all these scientists like drinking champagne, right? Nerds how to do it right. The nerds know how to do it right. Right here, you go. Listen to the article written about this discovery, signaling a likely end to one of the longest, most expensive searches in the history of science, physicists said Wednesday that they had discovered a new subatomic particle that looks for all the world like the the Higgs boson. A key to understanding why there is diversity and why there is life in the universe. Listen to the way they describe it. Here at the Aspen Center for Physics, a retreat for scientists, that sounds fun, right? Bleary-eyed physicists drank champagne in the wee hours as word arrived from the webcast. It was a scene duplicated in Melbourne, where physicists had gathered for a major conference, as as well as in Los Angeles, Chicago, Princeton, New York, London, and beyond. Everywhere that members of a curious species have dedicated their lives and fortunes to the search for their origins amidst a dark universe. Confirmation of the Higgs boson or something very much like it would constitute a rendezvous with destiny for a generation of physicists, listen to this, who have believed in the boson. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. You can correct me. Don't, actually. This would constitute a rendezvous with destiny for a generation of physicists who have believed in the boson for half a century without ever seeing it. 
One of the scientists quotes, he says, that possibility is particularly exciting for physicists as it could point the way to new, deeper ideas beyond the standard model about the nature of reality. Oh, friend, I wish I could word it that well. A bunch of physicists looking for the meaning of life and a deeper understanding of why things are the way they are have missed out on what you and I know to be true in Christ. Because, friend, if you think Jesus' entrance was grand, wait till you hear about his follow-up. In his sinless life, he defeated sin completely. In his death, he swallowed death whole. In his resurrection, he announced that he was bringing a new creation. All the sin that held us and the world hostage, he took upon himself to pay our ransom and to set us free. You can hear in the longing, did you hear a generation of people longing for something that they never quite received? Oh, friend, in Jesus, we get everything that our heart desires. And if you think his entry is grand, friend, his entry at Christmas is just his opening act. In his perfect life, his atoning death, and his victorious resurrection, he gives every single one who looks upon him new life, birth, adoption, satisfaction. Might I even quote the physicist? Understanding the nature of reality. 